Well, again, good morning, friends. Glad you are here with us this morning. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend to be here, especially if it's your first time or your first time in a long time. You're our honored guest. As Ryan said, please stop by the I'm New table. We'd love to get to meet you as well as say thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. As I mentioned before, we are currently in a sermon series entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? It's uh, out of the book of Ephesians. And if I were to ask you that particular question, let's say out in the foyer or even out in the street, you'd probably start listing off maybe your personality traits, some of your passions, maybe your professional pursuits, uh, maybe even your parental responsibilities or titles. But the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians in particular, would say the single greatest identity marker that you have is that of Christian. At least you should have that one because, see, as a Christian, as someone who is in Christ, well, well, that is the single greatest truth that there is to know about you. And that one truth should tell us a whole bunch of other things as well as shape and mold and inform everything else. So sure, you might be a dad and, and a 12 handicap or an avid skier or a Broncos fanatic, whatever it might be, but you are first and foremost in Christ. And that changes everything. That, in fact, sheds light on everything else. I'm excited to dive into chapter 3 with you this morning. Let me do so by starting with a question. Who shared the gospel message with you for the very first time? As you look back on, on your life, who first explained to you the truths in this book? Who first unpacked for you the love of God, the need for a Savior, the grace of the cross? Who, who first did that for you? Was it a was it a pastor? Nope. Okay. Uh, a parent? A TV evangelist? Was it a stranger? Maybe a close friend? An author? A teacher? A coach? My Aunt Joanne, who we recently visited out in North Carolina, had a huge influence on my faith journey, gave me my first Bible, took me to church for the very first time when I was 16. But the one who I give all the credit to for, for explaining the gospel to me, uh, the one who literally sat me down and told me about God's love, my need for a savior, was a milkman by the name of Rick Hankins. No joke. Uh, Rick was a super fun-loving guy who found a way to cheat at every board game. I just had to throw that in there. But he was a blue-collar worker through and through. And he worked at his dairy plant down in New Mexico where I was born and raised. Uh, he also served as a parent leader for the youth group that I attended my, my senior year of high school. And one night he invited uh, me and Becca to, to dinner at his house. And after we ate together, he sat us down at the dining room table. And I couldn't remember as if it happened just yesterday. He opened up the book of Romans and just walked me through sin and shame and selfishness. Easy, easy for you to say. Uh, he walked me through how I was lost and, and trapped and dead spiritually. He talked to me about uh, God's son and God's favor on my life, God's love for me, how God came to save me and to strengthen me, to heal me and to help me. He just unpacked it just straight in the scripture. I'm bawling like a baby at his dining room table. It was an incredible night. Night changed my life, changed my life forever. Well, who was that person for you? Who was your milkman? That sounded really odd, didn't it, when I, when I just said that? Okay, who was your Rick Hankins? Let's say it that way. That might be better. If you take nothing else from this morning's lesson, would you just do me a favor? Would you tell that person thank you? Just find them. 
if they're still with us, still alive, would you write them a note or send them an email or, or tag them on social media? If they're not with us, would you just tell their story to somebody else? Would you just share their legacy or their love for you or their love for the Lord with somebody else? They gave you the single greatest gift anybody could ever give you. Now, if I were to ask that same question, who, who walked you through the gospel, who first shared God's grace with you, if I were to ask that question to a group of folks back in the first century, chances are a vast majority of people would say, uh, there was a guy named Paul. There was an apostle, Paul, back in the day, and he told everybody about Jesus. In fact, he felt that it was his great responsibility, his great duty, his great calling to tell you about Jesus. This is what he says here in Ephesians 3. If you have a Bible, Ephesians 3, chapter 1, that's, or chapter 3, that's what it will be. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to the Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit has revealed it to his holy apostles and the prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Verse 1 begins by Paul saying, when I think of all of this, and then he kind of thinks of something else, something else crosses his mind, kind of an oh, by the way, if you will, and he doesn't finish his original thought until all the way down in verse 14. When I think of all this, I pray for you. That's what you should have expected in verse 1, but it's almost like Paul had a brain fart. Does anybody else take solace in the fact that the apostle Paul had a brain fart? Because I know that I do. It's like, squirrel! Right? That's kind of what happens here. This is the biblical example of squirrel. He's talking about something. He wants to pray for you, but he's like, oh, but by the way, I got to tell you something really quickly, really, really fast. And what's amazing is this kind of tangential thought that he has. Oh, it's so rich and it's so deep. Much better than my tangential thoughts, which is like a cat video on YouTube, right? That's not biblical truth at all. But, but here, Paul's side note, it's, it's deep and it's rich and it's so, so good. Paul's side note here, it's all about the gospel and really his passion for sharing it with others. Let me point out two verses in particular. Verse two, he says, God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Verse eight, he says, God graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Even in verse seven, he says, I've been given the privilege of serving him. How do I serve him? By spreading the good news. Now, if you're anything like Christ or like uh, Paul, well, let, me, let me say it this way. If you're anything like most Christians, you struggle to, to 
connect with Paul as he says, as he says these things. If anything, like most Christians, Paul's words here, they're just not words that you have shared a whole lot on your own. You have a hard time kind of getting jazzed up about the responsibility or the opportunity you have to tell others about Jesus. You wouldn't call evangelism a great privilege. You'd kind of call it a pain. You'd call it a problem, not so much a pleasure. Let me ask you another question along the same lines as the one I asked you to begin. And I think it kind of proves my point. Would anybody name you as the one who first led them to Christ? If I were to ask a group of people, hey, who first told you about the gospel or the grace of Christ? Would anybody say, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so, and that so-and-so would be you? Would you immediately come to mind for anyone when it comes to their journey in the faith? Would anybody say that you shared with them, I love how Paul says it, the endless treasures that are available to them in Christ? Have you been that person? Have you done that for another? We all know who has led us to the Lord. But have we ever led anyone to the Lord? Here's why that's important. Because the mark or the fruit of a mature, godly, healthy believer is that they are always looking for and taking advantage of opportunities to help others believe. You with me? The mark of a, of a godly mature, fruitful believer is they are constantly on the lookout and taking advantage of these opportunities where they can help somebody else develop belief themselves. God has designed it this way. I'd go far as to say some of this. Some of you are stuck right now in your faith. Some of you are probably kind of feeling rather stagnant in your faith. Maybe you just feel like you're going through the motions of faith, and I would argue it's because you're not sharing your faith. You can only take in so much before it becomes rather mundane. You have to start sharing it and pouring it out, giving it away to others, and then all of a sudden it starts to get fresh again. It starts to become real and important to you again. Faith and life and love and passion and grace, you can hear them all day long, but hearing them is only part of it. You need to say them. You need to share them. And suddenly when you do hear them, oh, they will hit you so much harder. See, last week in Ephesians 2, we learned that we are saved by grace, not by works, Paul says, which means you don't earn it. You don't deserve God's love. You don't like pay for it or, or you're so good that God has to love you. Like you're the best kid out there, so I'm just going to love you. No, It's by grace, not by works. But far too many Christians, they use that truth to not do any work. You're saved by grace, not by works. But that doesn't mean there isn't work to be done. No, no, it's just the opposite. Once you are saved, there's a lot of work to be done. In fact, it's the side note here that Paul shares. It's also a side note for your life. You have been created to share the gospel. That is one of the primary callings on your life is to talk to others about grace, about love, about Christ. But instead of rejoicing at those opportunities, what do we tend to do? Run away. Instead of just getting so amped up, like I said, instead of getting all jazzed up, we get all freaked out. We just can't seem to muster up enough courage or boldness or strength to pull off a conversation, to openly, honestly share our faith or ask somebody else, man, where do you stand with Jesus? Have you ever read the Bible? Would you like to come to church? We're just not as excited as Paul. Man, I rejoice in these opportunities. It's my great calling in all of life. I take advantage of every opportunity. Even as a pastor, I couldn't say those things. So as I was looking at this text, I'm I'm wondering, man, what's the difference? 
What's the difference between Paul, this guy that wanted to share Jesus with everybody he came into contact, man? If he had a waiter at the, at the restaurant, I'm sure they were learning about Jesus. If he was getting an Uber ride across town, I'm sure they were going to learn about Jesus. Everybody that came into contact with Paul was going to learn about Jesus. Why is that not true for us? Why is it not the same with us? Well, I think it boils down to a couple of things, and I want to share them with you this morning. Four things in particular. The first is this. Paul personalized the gospel. And the same needs to be true for you and I. You see, for Paul, the gospel, and when I say the gospel, I mean just the good news that God loves you, the good news that God saves you, the good news that God pulls you out of the pit from wherever you are, however deep you find yourself, that good news, well, Paul personalized it. It wasn't some hypothetical idea. It wasn't just a theoretical truth. It was a life-changing reality. See, for Paul, the gospel was like that air mask that comes down in the airplane when all the air pressure is gone. For Paul, the, the gospel was the life preserver that somebody threw when he was about to drown to death. It was a very real thing. Look again at verses 7 and 8. It says, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news, though I am the least deserving of all of God's people. Yet he graciously gave me the privilege of telling others about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I am the least deserving, Paul says. In other places, he describes himself as the most undeserving of all the apostles. In 1 Timothy, he goes as far to say he's the worst sinner to have ever lived. I mean, you would read these in rapid succession. It's like, man, Paul's got a little self-esteem problem going on here. Paul needs some participation ribbons that say, you're number one. No, that's, that's not what ha needs to happen here. It's not, it's not just some you know, false humility or it's not something he needs to get over. He doesn't need to go see a counselor and talk through this. What he said, it's true. He didn't deserve God's favor. He didn't deserve God's love. He didn't deserve God's affection. And he knew it. And you and I need to know it. We talked about this at great length last week, so if you weren't with us, go hop online and listen to that. But our true state, our true condition without Christ, it's not real good, my friends. In fact, it's, it's really bad. We're disobedient, disciples of the devil, controlled by selfish desires. We are dead. And until you personalize that truth, the gospel just won't really do anything for you. And you won't ever really want to share it with anybody else. Until you're able to say, just own it, right? Man, I was a materialistic punk. I lived a life where joy was so fleeting and based on what I could buy next. Or God saved me from this addiction that was causing my life to just spiral out of control. Or God found me when I was a sex-obsessed, power-hungry fool who used and abused others. Or God rescued me from this empty, habitual religion that I was in where I thought God owed me something. Until you can own it, until you can say, I was dead. And then God saved me. Until you can say that, you will never share the gospel with anybody else. And it doesn't have to be a grandiose story of like, man, I was a prostitute in downtown Denver and now I'm a pastor. That's not true, by the way. <laughs> it was downtown LA, much, much worse. It could be as simple as, I, as an empty life where I was just working really hard. It was a religion that just wasn't filled with joy or grace. It was a purposeless life where I didn't know what I was going to do next. Depression, whatever it might be, we all have a story. 
And you got to own it. You got to personalize the gospel. I don't know what the specifics are for you, but you do. And until you own them, you won't ever want to share this message with anybody else. If you want to have a burning passion to tell others about Christ, then personalize this book. Personalize the first couple chapters of Ephesians. It's not talking about us. It's not talking about them. This is talking about you. This is you. So personalize it, and maybe, maybe you'll start to share it a little bit more frequently. The second thing we need to do is understand the purpose of the gospel. Uh, because of some time constraints last week, we had to skip over a huge portion of chapter 2. But in the second part of that text, Paul says this, Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 16. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He continues this in chapter 3, verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. We've talked about this uh, in messages before or previous series, but sin, sin separates things, right? Sin has, a, has the ability to tear things apart. That's what sin does. It destroys things. And the beautiful part of the gospel, one of the most powerful parts of the gospel, is it has a, an ability to reconnect those things. It has an ability to put those things back together. Whatever was ripped up or divided or destroyed before, somehow the gospel is able to come and put it all back together. In fact, the gospel is the only thing that can put it back together. Because of sin, there was a disconnection between us and God, right? We talk about this dynamic here. There was a disconnection and, and, a, and a hardship, or you will, a discord between us and other people. And there was also problems between us and creation. I mean, everything just got ripped apart because of sin, and the purpose of the gospel is to tell you there's a way to put it all back together. There is a power out there that can put it all back together. It's Christ. It's the gospel. It's the, the message of God's love. Sin separated everything. Sin separates everyone. Whenever there's sin, it's just going to do more and more of this. Little side note here, if you are saying things right now or participating in things right now or posting things right now that have a divisive element to them or a divisive quality, there's a good chance you're in sin because the gospel brings things together. I don't care what political party or what team or whatever it is, what issue you're talking about, you can do so in a way that is gospel-centric, that seeks to not divide and tear apart, but seeks to reconnect that's the power of the gospel. And here in Ephesians, the language is a little weird for us to kind of pick up on, but, but Paul's zeroing in on a couple of relationships that are reconnected because of the gospel. One is between Jews and Gentiles, right? Two groups of people that back in the first century hated one another. Basically Jews and non-Jews, just totally at odds. And the gospel has a way of bringing these two groups back together. 
Paul talks about how there's a beautiful thing. Oh yeah, you're reconnected with the Lord. You don't have confidence to enter into his very presence again. You don't have to worry about this dynamic happening anymore. The gospel brings you back together. That's the purpose of the gospel is to reunite, to reconnect things. And until we fully fathom that, until we understand that, I don't think we're going to share it with other people. See, the gospel, it's not a get out of hell free card. That's, that's just not what it is. The gospel is just not a way to scratch the spiritual itch that some of us have. The gospel is not just one road that will eventually lead you to God. No, no, no. The gospel is the only thing in this world that can reconnect anything and everything that's been divided by sin. It's the only thing that can bring things back together. And so when you share the gospel with somebody, you are sharing with them the very glue that they have been desperately searching for because things are falling apart in their life. They need someone to come and say, man, I can tell you how to put that back together. When you share the gospel with somebody, you are literally giving them the ability to reconnect with themselves because sin has caused them, even internally, to be separated. You are giving them the ability to reconnect with family members that they haven't talked to in decades. You're giving them the opportunity to reconnect with this world in a way, maybe their joy, maybe their purpose, their creation in itself, right? And of course, reconnect to God. When you give somebody the gift of the gospel, you are literally giving them the ability to reconnect everything that's been disconnected by sin. Doesn't that jazz you up a little bit more? Like, yeah, I don't want to do that. So personalize the gospel, but then also understand the purpose of the gospel. So much more than just getting out of hell. So much more than just being on the right road. It's about reconnecting life to its very source now and forever. All right, that brings us to the third part of the gospel. I've got to clean up my mess here. Jesus, come help me. It's a mess. Here we go. All right. The heart of the gospel. You got to understand the heart of the gospel. In fact, I don't want you just to understand. I want you to cling to the heart of the gospel. The heart is shared in verses 14 through 19. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father. So now he's continuing his thought, right? The thought from verse 1. For this reason, okay, side note is over. Tangential thought. I, I've been called to share the gospel with the Gentiles. But for this reason now, I, I get on my knees and I pray before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth deserves its name or derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here it is. Here's the heart of the gospel. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but everything about the gospel, every part of the gospel, the very reason God first gave us the gospel is because of love. For God so loved this world. It all begins and ends with love. And Paul says that here, verses 17 and 18. I love that. And you being rooted and established in love, we'll call that your undergrad degree in love. Okay, that's, that's where you start. 
You start understanding God loves me. Rick Hankins told me that morning or that, that night right over his dining room table, God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not angered by you. He's not frustrated with you. He loves you. You being rooted, established. You start in love. Paul continues, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is that love. We'll call this your master's degree in love. You are rooted and established in the love of God, and then you spend years thinking about how big it is, how good it is, how wide, how vast that love. You love me that much like the prodigal son, like the adulteress with the woman at the well. You love me like that? Yes. And then he still doesn't stop there. To know this love that surpasses all knowledge, so much so that you are so filled with it, you are full of it. Anybody ever tell you you're full of it? Yeah, it didn't go too well, did it? Well, Paul says, I want you to be full of it. This is your PhD in love now, where you are so full of his love. You live in it. You live out of it. See, there are levels of love, and, and Paul's prayer is that you would experience all of those levels, that you would start, be rooted and grounded in that love, that you would understand and probe the depths of that love, how wide, how vast, how deep, how good that love is, and then to know this love, that, that word know is, is not really well interpreted in the scripture, it's really to experience, to personalize, to embrace this love so that you are full of it. Some of us just hear John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Yeah, you loved it, okay. And you just stop there. You don't spend the rest of your life probing the depths of that love. That's what you've been designed to do. It's all about God's love. The gospel message, the offer of salvation, the promise of being reunited with all things, the hope of heaven, they're all expressions of God's love for us. And the greatest way you can express your love for another is to share that message with them. I know we've all heard that before. And just kind of like, and, and I get it. I totally get it. Like, when we love somebody, we don't want to offend them. Or if we care about somebody, we don't want to make things awkward. We don't want to turn them off. We don't want to be presumptuous. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to like share our faith. It's like, whatever you believe, man, it's, it's good for you. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you don't really love someone until you want to share the message of God's love with them. That's the mark. That's the, that's the true determining factors. If you are in love with somebody, if you care enough about that person, you will ask them, do you know Christ? I just love you too much to not ask. The heart of the gospel is love, God's love for us, and then your love for those around you. Until you love them, until you understand it's all about love, you're probably not going to share or shower it on others. And that brings us to the last one. Fourth and finally, we need to believe in the power of the gospel. See, Paul ends this section and this prayer for the Ephesians in this way, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. One of my favorite parts of being a dad is watching my girls get lost in their imaginations. I love watching my children just get lost in this kind of fantasy play. Anybody else enjoy seeing your kids do that? Just a few weeks ago, we had this yoga mat because I'm a big yoga guy. And we're not. 
blue yoga mat is just sitting in the living room. It's been there for years, right? I don't even know why we have it. But suddenly this blue yoga mat became Barbie's private lake. And she was swimming with the mermaids. Or suddenly the floor was like, Dad, don't step there. That's lava. You got to step on the pillows or your foot's going to get burned off. Or suddenly the top of the stairs is like the top of the, the wall in Ninja Warrior. They got to climb the wall. Buzzer! Yeah! I just love when their imaginations run wild. I love that. Their imaginations bring me so much joy. And I wonder if it's the same with our Heavenly Father. But my fear, my honest to goodness fear is that most of us have lost our imaginations. We've just lost it. We've lost the ability to dream or to think of amazing things that could be true. We've just lost, we've lost it. And, and thus we've lost sight of the power of God. See, the text says that God can do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine. But we tend to think too small. We tend to believe too tiny. We tend to ask for way too little. If God can do more than I can even imagine, then I'm going to imagine the greatest things possible so he will even trump those. You with me? If he can do more than I can ask or imagine, go ahead and ask. Go ahead and imagine that's possible. Believe it. See it. And then God says he will do even more than that. The gospel message that we have been called to share, it is powerful. In fact, Romans 1 would say it's the very power of God. When you usher the words, do you know Christ? Have you heard of God's love? Would you like to read the scripture? When you share those words, you are like TNT in a good way, I guess, on people but you have this explosive, dynamic power available to you. You just have to get it out. Just, just get it out. So, so please, please don't tell me the gospel won't change lives anymore. Don't tell me people are too far gone or that we live in a post-Christian culture that the next generation doesn't want to hear about it, that people are too busy to listen or respond to the gospel. Don't tell me that because the gospel is the power of God. If you can imagine it for your children, if you can imagine it for your spouse, if you can imagine it for your career, if you can imagine it for your future, if you can imagine it in heaven, come on, imagine it, God can do even more than that, immeasurably more than you can even imagine. So if you aren't sharing the gospel with others, I would, I would challenge you, I would ask, have you lost your imagination? Is Barbie swimming in the lake right now? Is lava under your feet? Is the top of the stairs the buzzer? Or is it just ho-hum, life is what it is? Imagine things for the Lord. He will do immeasurably more than that. All right, well, one day, as we wrap up this morning, one day a pastor will ask a group of people just like this, hey, who first shared the gospel message with you? Who was it that first told you about God's love and the grace of the cross and the hope of heaven? Who was it? And my hope and prayer is that they will think of you because you, like Paul, have this burning passion to share it with others because you, like Paul, have personalized the gospel message. 
You understand the purpose of the gospel message. You are clinging to the heart and the love of the gospel message. And you understand the power of the gospel message. And thus you shared, you shared it with someone else and you changed their life forever. Let me pray that over you. We'll get you out of here. God, we thank you for being an incredible God. A God who is not silent. And a God who says and shares with us the greatest news of all time. Not only do you speak to us, God, but when you speak, it is words of life and power and transformation. So help us to hear those words afresh and anew today. Help us to remember the first time we heard those words. Help us to think back to that moment when we were watching Billy Graham on the TV or sitting at that youth camp or sitting with Rick at his dining room table. Help us to remember what it felt like to hear the gospel. And Lord, now would you empower us through your spirit, the mighty power the scripture says that is at work within us, would you empower us to share it with others? Would we, like Paul, be so excited to proclaim the truth of the gospel with anyone and everyone we meet? Help us to personalize the gospel. Help us to understand the beautiful reconnecting purpose of the gospel. Lord, help us to, to love the love of the gospel, to love the heart of the gospel, and help us to always believe in the power of the gospel. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power, God, that it is at work within us. To you be the glory in this church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, have an amazing afternoon. God bless you guys. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. We can bless a family in need. Be strong and courageous. Take care.